Bibles to John chapter 21. We're in the home stretch now, folks. Last chapter of the Gospel of John. Chapter 21 is often referred to as the epilogue to the Gospel, the author's concluding remarks. This chapter has caused much debate among Bible scholars over the years. Some think it was a late edition, that it wasn't written by the author of the book itself. They're convinced that the story was intended to end on a high note with Thomas's confession and John's purpose for writing the book at the end of John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. But John chapter 1 provides some significant information. It ties up some really important loose ends. As John sat down to write this account of the life and ministry of Jesus at the end of the first century, Peter will have already been martyred. He'd given up his life for the gospel. But his significant contributions to the establishment of the New Testament church continued to live on. How was it that one of John's closest ministry companions, they were both part of Jesus' inner circle, remember? Peter, James, and John. How in the world did Peter recover from those denials in the high priest court, high priest courtyard on the night that Jesus was betrayed? And not just recover, but then go on and become one of the New Testament church's leaders. John chapter 21 provides us some answers to that question. You know, sometimes it, it just feels like we can't win for losing. Jeremiah, that Old Testament prophet, had a lifetime of losses. In fact, he's sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet. I hope and pray that that doesn't describe any of your lives. But this past week in our Ministry of Men leadership team meet, meeting, we spent some time looking at the Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, in which it reads, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. You and I were living in the last days. The days between Jesus' first advent and his second advent. We are to expect and be prepared for difficult days. Jesus himself, in preparing his disciples for his own imminent departure, said, In this world you will have trouble. And so we should not be surprised when life seems like a roller coaster ride, offering thrilling victories and agonizing setbacks, difficult times, times of trouble. Alan has been in BC this past week, meeting with family, following the death of a son. 
Wayne left for Winnipeg on Wednesday to attend the funeral of a son-in-law's father who lost his battle, long battle, with cancer. The funeral was Thursday. And he didn't bother actually booking a return ticket home. He wanted to stay in Winnipeg so that he could spend some time with his sister, who's now been moved into a hospice preparing for her last days on earth. A brother-in-law is being treated for his second diagnosis of lymphoma. A case of fraudulent checks stole over $1,000 from a personal checking account. A severe bump on the head has led to pain and sleepless nights. Another is suffering from grief, loneliness, and battles with depression. Someone else is carrying the burden of an unsaved loved one. Another is bruised and battered from a fall when he passed out while sitting on the edge of the bed. An uncle is battling cancer that has migrated into his bones. There's nothing more that medical science can do or offer. We may not be experiencing a lifetime of losses, but at times it sure feels like it's three steps forward and two steps back. Like we've been out fishing all night and caught absolutely nothing. An angel outside the empty tomb had told the women, as reported in Matthew chapter 28, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, And there they will see me. His disciples have traveled the 80 plus miles from Jerusalem to Galilee. Now what? We want to focus on verses 1 through 14 of John chapter 21 this morning. These verses actually present a literary device called an inclusio. If you look carefully, you will see that verses 1 and 14 say much the same thing. And so they act as bookends for this episode or pericope. The main material is presented inside these two bookends. And that's what we want to focus on this morning. And it is in, these, in between these two bookends that we discover three what we will call life lessons. Please stand with me if you're able for the reading from God's word, beginning at verse 1 of John chapter 21. After these things, Jesus manifests himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's just another way of referring to the Sea of Galilee. And he manifested himself in this way. 
Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will also come with you. And they went out and got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. So they cast. And then they were not able to haul, in, haul it in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. So when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have, ca have now caught. Simon Peter up, went up and drew the net to land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him, Who are you? knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus was manifest to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. These sacred writings, according to the Apostle Paul, are able to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. They are a written revelation of your person, your plans and purposes, your perspectives. They've been supernaturally preserved so that we have reliable copies to read and study and ponder. They are authoritative and sufficient. No other revelation is needed. The Bible is all we need to equip us for a life of faith and a lifetime of service. Ancient words. Ancient words, for sure but words that can be used by your spirit to cut to the heart of the matter, exposing us for who we really are 
and then empowering us to live as we know we ought to live in ways that please and glorify you. May we learn the lessons that you have for us in this report of how Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. Teach us. Reprove us. Correct us. And train us in righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going fishing. The disciples had gone to Jerusalem with Jesus and experienced a roller coaster ride of events. Think about it the triumphal entry, the expectation of the dawning of a brand new kingdom, unrelenting surveillance and harassment, opposition by the religious leadership of the day. Betrayal by a trusted friend. Nearly arrested. Peter's denial. Jesus' trial, torture, and death by crucifixion. The resurrection. And then all those stories about different appearances of the risen Lord. Can you imagine? That's quite a ride. How were they feeling as they returned, to the, returned home to the province of Galilee? Excited? Relieved? Confused? Emotionally drained? Uncertain? Maybe a combination of all of the above. But now what? What now? Some have suggested that Peter's announcement was an act of disobedience. I think that's a little bit harsh. After all, the disciples have returned to Galilee just as they were commanded to do. And now they wait. Wait for Jesus to appear as he said he would. Sometimes that waiting room can be the hardest place in the world to be. Waiting for an appointment to see the doctor. Waiting in line at the grocery store. Waiting to fill the car with gas. Waiting to see if the bank will approve a loan application. Waiting for the right time to start a family. Waiting for test results. Waiting for loved ones to come to Christ. Waiting for the Lord to bring along the right woman or the right man. Waiting to find out what God is going to do next. Waiting for someone to buy your house. Waiting for your prayers to be answered. Waiting for that crazy red light to turn green. Waiting's hard, don't you agree? And yet we all spend a 
large chunk of our life waiting, waiting for things to happen. So like it or not, we are going to be found waiting. It's just another one of those inescapable realities of life. You've heard it said before, patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women, never in a man. (laughs) Peter, as he's described in the gospel accounts, was by nature a man of action. Impulsive. Often speaking before thinking. My guess is that he would not do well in any kind of waiting room. And the others, they were quick to follow his lead. Notice, we will also come with you. But then they fished all night. They caught absolutely nothing. Darkness was giving way to the dawn of a brand new morning. The sky was lightning in the east. The casting of their net seemed more and more futile. And remember, these are seasoned fishermen, experts in their field. They had to have been left wondering, what on earth has happened to the Sea of Galilee in the last two and a half, three years? A shadowy figure appears on the shoreline some 100 yards away. They could not make out who it was in the morning light. And he called out to them, children, do you have any fish? You do, you do not have any fish, do you? And the question is actually stated with the expectation of a negative response. You do not have any fish, do you? These seasoned expert fishermen were forced to admit their failure. No. It was a simple reply. The truth, stripped of all excuses, complaints, or any kind of blame. Just a simple no. Straightforward admission of failure to produce. But Jesus had shown up just as he promised he would. He manifest himself with his presence may have showed up unannounced and unrecognized, but still, he was there. And with his presence came a penetrating question that that created a teachable moment. This was not a new lesson. It was more like that review material. It was more of a review of the material that they covered earlier. It's like those when those teachers had those pre-exam review sessions, and they would say something like, now this is important. You'll need to know this for the final exam. Jesus' manifestation of himself reveals an important life lesson. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Doesn't matter how skilled we are, How many degrees we may have hanging on the wall. 
how much money we have in the bank or how many years of experience we may have under our belts, how many verses we have memorized or how consistent our church attendance may be, or all the spiritual exercises we may be consistently performing. The opportunity may just look like a a no-brainer, fail-proof, and yet apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Certainly nothing of eternal significance. Nothing that would be of spiritual benefit to ourselves or to those around us. Nothing that would please or glorify God. Turn with me back to John chapter 15 for just a moment. Beginning at verse 1. This is what I mean by suggesting that this is a review, not new information. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he said, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The psalmist said much the same thing back in Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman Keep guard in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. Life lesson number one. Apart from Jesus, you and I can do nothing. Jesus' manifestation of himself exposed their limitations. And beloved, that is as true today for you and me as it was for those disciples who were fishing just off the shore of the Sea of Galilee back in the first century. We are to continually acknowledge our limitations and invite his involvement in the details of our lives regardless of where we are and what we are attempting to do or or how skilled we might be life lesson number one apart from jesus we can do nothing look at verse six of John chapter 21. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and then they were not able to haul it in 
because of the great number of fish. Now that's just weird. Cast is an imperative. It's a command. So here we have a stranger. Get this picture in your mind. Standing on the shoreline. Telling seasoned fishermen who had just spent the entire night fishing how to fish. Reading the sports pages and listening to commentators, I'm amazed at Mike Babcock's, the coach of the Toronto Maple Leaf, his incompetence and ignorance of the game of hockey. It's amazing. It's amazing how many experts are sitting in the stands. In this case, walking along the shoreline. Cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you will find a catch. That's what I call poking the bear after they've been out on the water for the last 12 hours. And yet, what I find even stranger is the fact that these seasoned fishermen responded to that command. Someone wrote, the difference between success and failure was the width of the boat. I disagree completely. The difference between success and failure was standing on the shoreline, but a hundred yards away. It was Jesus. We're not told why they responded, but we are told that, that they were rewarded for their obedience. They cast their net and were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. You know, this is the last recorded miracle that Jesus performed before ascending into heaven. It's the last one. And it is the only one reported following his resurrection from the dead. But it sure displays that Jesus still had it. He had supernatural power in his resurrected state. First, his presence reminded the disciples that apart from me, you can do nothing. Secondly, Jesus manifested himself with his power. First his presence, and now his power. Perhaps a previous fishing expedition came to these disciples' minds when they realized their nets were filled with fish. Listen as I read from Luke chapter 5. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deep and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and did not catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish 
and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they'd caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And, and as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I can't imagine that episode, that experience, not coming to their minds as they fished off the shores of the Sea of Galilee on this occasion. The Apostle John was the first to suggest that it was Jesus that was the one on shore. Peter, can't wait, put on his outer garment and he jumped in and swam to shore. Forget the fish. The others didn't bother bringing the net in. They just dragged it along behind, got to shore as quickly as they could. And notice the other miracle in verse 11. Simon Peter went up and drew in the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. That's an interesting detail. Perhaps carries some implications related to doing God's business, God's way. But regardless, the life lesson is clear. With God, the impossible becomes possible. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Life lesson number two, with God, the impossible becomes possible. Jesus, manifested of himself, ensured their success. And that is as true today as it was in first century Palestine. God is able to complete the work that he has begun in your life and in my life, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And not only that, he enables us, empowers us, to do the things that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. By his power and for his glory, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Let it be so. Look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples ventured to question him. Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Come and have breakfast. In John chapter 14, 
Remember when they sequestered themselves in that upper room on the night that he would be betrayed, the day before that he would hang and die on a wooden cross? Jesus removed his outer garment, taking the towel, pouring water into the basin. He washed each of those apostles' feet. The master became a servant, setting an example that they should do for one another what he was willing to do for them. He came to serve and not be served. Here in John chapter 21, we find him once again taking on the role of a hospitable servant, serving them by meeting their physical needs. His provision, a warm fire, freshly cooked fish, and baked bread. Verse 13, Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and the fish likewise. Was this intended to be another memory jogger? Perhaps. Think back to John chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000, probably a crowd of around 20,000, including women and children. Jesus then took the loaves. Having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. Likewise, also of the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. The Apostle Paul wrote these words to believers in the city of Philippi. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And his riches and glory are inexhaustible. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 6, sorry, verse 25. 
For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, for your body, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more, fo- more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Life lesson number three. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Jesus manifested himself, served their needs, and their physical needs, I might add. The life of this life offers a perpetual, never-ending series of advances and setbacks. Advance and setbacks. The good news is, is that we worship a sovereign God who promises that he will never leave us and never forsake us. His power is unmatched. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, we read, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. His power is unmatched. Thirdly, his resources and willingness to help or to provide are inexhaustible. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is implied. And these life lessons, I might add, are transferable to ministry lessons. After all, Jesus did not come with an announcement I'm going fishing, but rather with an invitation. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Just recently, I watched a movie slash documentary titled American Anthem Girl. Have you seen it? It's actually narrated by Janine Stang herself, and it's about her life. The documentary follows her self-financed two-year journey that saw her going from state 
to state to state, singing the United States National Anthem. And her goal was to sing it in every, all 50 states. It had never been done before. And halfway through, she was at about state 29 when she realized that it was the year that the National Anthem turned 200 in September. And so she wanted to finish it, her journey, by September 14th. I think it was 2014. Anyway, it, it follows her through this whole experience as she makes it to all through, through all 50 states. But at the end of the movie, she shared a, a life lesson that she had learned along the way that kind of resonated with me, in fact, to the point where I got up and wrote it down. This is what she said. Do what you can with what you have from where you are. Do what you can with what you have from where you are. We can all do that. I would just add, with the assurance of his presence, his power, and his provision, all for his glory. Let's pray. Father, in your power and for your glory, in Jesus' name, enable us to be faithful followers. And as a result, effective fishers of men, ambassadors for Christ, both in word and deed, doing what we can with what you have given us from where you have planted us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.